is the only bank devoted exclusively to entrepreneurs, and we're committed to the success of women entrepreneurs and majority women-owned companies across Canada. As a proud partner of the Thrive Podcast, we're here to help you start, grow, or scale your business. Find out more at bdc.ca forward slash women today. Scotiabank is proud to co-present the Thrive Podcast for Women Entrepreneurs. Through the Scotiabank Women Initiative, Scotiabank aims to help advance women-led businesses with access to capital, education, and mentorship. To learn more, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. You got into business to pursue your passion, not to worry about insurance. But the reality is every business faces risks and you need to make sure that your business is protected. Insurance doesn't have to be complicated and learning some basic risk mitigation principles like how to develop a business continuity plan can go a long way. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools. Visit sovereigninsurance.ca to learn more. I landed a contract in Italy, but I need five freelancers to make it happen. I said, sure, let's chat over coffee. With Export Development Canada, risk doesn't stop you. EDC, take on the world. You're listening to The Thrive Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network, where we help women entrepreneurs start and build thriving businesses. On the Thrive Podcast, we connect you with leading experts, entrepreneurs, and organizations that provide capital, mentorship, training, tools, and other support to help you make your vision a reality even faster. This podcast is presented in partnership with Business Development Bank of Canada and Scotiabank. Make your way over to startupcan.ca forward slash podcasts to subscribe to the Thrive community. And subscribe to listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. Finally, we'd love for you to rate this podcast and leave a review on iTunes for the chance to have it read on air. We want these shows to impact as many people as possible, and your reviews will help us get there. I'm your host, Gomal Minhas, founder of CoreSpace, your one-stop shop for all things work, wellness, and impact. Visit kaur.space to find out more. I'm also the producer of Dream Girl, the documentary film showcasing the lives of inspiring and ambitious female entrepreneurs that we premiered at the Obama White House. I'm so happy to be here today. Welcome to the show. We are thrilled to have Nicole Verkent on the Thrive Podcast show today. Nicole Verkent is a serial entrepreneur and a dragon on CBC's Next Gen Den. She is the CEO and founder of OMX, a tech company that supports businesses to be more efficient, reduce costs, and reap the highest economic benefit from government procurement contracts. She currently sits on the board of directors for the Canadian Commercial Corporation and has a reputation for being a tenacious problem solver and true paragon of her generation. At just 27, Nicole launched her now global company, OMX, an online marketplace for defense aerospace and shipbuilding sectors. Nicole was the recipient of Startup Canada's Women Entrepreneur of the Year Award in 2017, and she is Startup Canada's 2019 Women Entrepreneur Ambassador. Welcome, Nicole, to the podcast. Thanks. It's great to be here. So I would love to find out, um, before you began OMX, you had your first company, Tiburon, that you uh, created in 2008. And when I look at the nature of that business, I'm curious, what got you into um, this business with offshore manufacturing in the Dominican Republic? 
Oof, that's a long story. I don't think we want to talk about the whole story, but um, I was really struggling in university. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life and ended up working for a company on commission only, um, doing sales, and they had me based in the Caribbean. And so I was working in that environment and quite involved with sort of the political world. We were um, doing these country reports for um, various countries. And my family business at the time was really struggling. They needed more supply. They needed another supplier. They needed um, assistance with some components. And they were allowed to be made kind of anywhere in the world. And so I ended up starting the company on my own. And it was its own company. But it was absolutely kind of in collaboration with our family business in the sense that we were helping them to provide some some key components that they needed and that their customer needed. So what was your family business at that time? We were manufacturing these um, sort of materials that were high-tech, that confused radar and infrared, and we were selling those and, and big shelter systems and um, various sort of PVC-coated materials to, to governments around the world and uh, primarily to the U.S. government as a Canadian company. So there was all sorts of different components that went into those um, those end products that were sold. So my first startup, we, I basically um, started a manufacturing facility, opened up a factory in the Dominican because there was low, lower cost of labor and uh, hired about 70 people down there uh, to produce various components. So we were bringing materials in from overseas and we were cutting them and sewing them and packaging them and doing various tasks and then shipping them off to um, uh, companies in Canada and the United States. Fantastic. And so when I hear that story and um, that support of your family and already having exposure to the industry um, really helped you get uh, started in that capacity. I mean, having your first business already have 70 employees and have the kind of um, the knowledge base that you did because you saw what your family was building. That was, was that a huge part in how you were able to launch into this sector? And, um, yes, absolutely. I was, I was very, very fortunate. Um, I always say I had a breakfast table education growing up and seeing, you know, how entrepreneurship goes down and how that whole process works and, you know, how messy it can be. And, and absolutely that was, uh, that was the whole Genesis. And I ended up working in the family business after that. And, uh, we sold it to a private equity fund and, uh, I went on to start OMX from there just, but it was completely based starting OMX was completely based on all of my experience, you know, growing up working in sort of the industrial supply chain sector and, and understanding, you know, how much, could be innovated there and how we could apply digital digitization to some pretty old school areas of organizations. I find this so fascinating because especially when it comes to family business, my family is also, um, uh, my father's an entrepreneur back home and very much in brick and mortar, uh, logging and trucking and things like this. But when the next generation has the opportunity to come in and see how things are being done, we get to level it up. And so when you were looking at digitization with OMX and how the sector could be disrupted, um, what did you latch onto and what did you decide, like, this is the area I want to disrupt? How did that come to be? Well, these things really evolve, right? So originally I felt very, very frustrated. I had this sort of gnawing frustration going on for a long time just around 
how inefficient the process was. You know, we were receiving certain orders, you know, via PO and these very old school kind of E dash portals. And there was kind of various areas of the entire process that just felt like it wasn't being optimized. And so when I got into OMX, and I think this is a really great way for a lot of people to get involved in, in new startups is they have, you know, I had some domain expertise in one area and I felt frustration in general around the whole area. And I didn't know exactly what our solution would be. And for me, I think that's a really good position for companies to start out at as opposed to knowing exactly what your solution is, being adamant that that's the solution and sort of attacking one very, very specific area. So I went into it just having some domain expertise and um, took a very collaborative approach to reaching out and talking to companies in the sector and working with companies to really understand different areas of opportunity where they could implement software and they could streamline processes and they could uh, sort of digitize by leveraging something that we were essentially building. Wonderful. And I want to rewind or rewind back into the story a little bit. Um, when you shared that you sold your company to a private equity firm, I think that that's such uh, something to be celebrated um, with your first startup to have been able to sell it. Um, how did you prepare for that process and, and how did it come to be that sale? And what was it like to go through that process of selling your first company? Well, no, that was the family company that was sold okay. to firm and yes the startup was was rolled into that um that was an unusual situation that wasn't like a start a company and have this really great celebrated exit um that was a stressful situation that was an urgency that we were moving towards to have it sold um, to an american company um for various reasons we were selling to the government and the government's sort of needs had changed so that was an unusual situation that i wouldn't say uh, but I definitely learned a huge amount through it. And, you know, this is the problem with life is that all the lessons that you learn that are really worth learning, you kind of learn by making mistakes, et cetera. So I definitely learned a lot from it. And, you know, now even through everything, when I talk to startups and they're wanting to exit or wanting to raise capital, you know, very wary of making sure you know who you're you're working with. Mm. So when you look at back at that circumstance, and, and I would, I guess we could say more broadly, any circumstance where you've had to sort of pick yourself back up or make it through these mistakes or, or as, as we as a culture love to talk about our failures, um, what sorts of characteristics or parts of yourself are you most appreciative of having um, that helped you get through those those moments? Well, I don't think you have what it takes to go through um, those moments, but you do it anyways. And mm. uh, I remember, oh my God, I remember just, you know, being at the office for 13 hours a day and living off these free donuts that one of our subscribers <laughs> bring in every morning. And I still managed to lose a whole bunch of weight from, from stress and, um, you know, getting through that, that huge transformation that we went through. And, but when you get on the other side of it, it makes you very different. It definitely changes you and it changes, um, like I'm, I'm a total optimist, but I am very careful about things now. And I, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't celebrate until something's in the bag and it's just, it's unfortunate, but you get all, you have all these experiences and then I just think it makes you, but that is so part of the process. And for all the startups out there that are going to raise money, 
if an investor tells you, and this is not what my experience was, I don't want this to be part of my story, but if an investor tells you that you shouldn't be failing, you shouldn't be making mistakes, you should avoid them, that is just total crap because the reason that you raise money from investors, especially for startups, is to make mistakes. And that's a critical part of the process and it's absolutely critical for for your learning to get closer to where you need to be. And isn't the essence of startups and business to innovate? And how can we innovate without failure and mistakes, without stepping outside of the bounds and trying to see what else we can create and how we can create it differently? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You're going to fail more than you're going to succeed for sure. Yeah. Um, So coming back to uh, your being named this year's Startup Canada's New Woman Entrepreneur Ambassador for 2019. Um, what what do you love about working with Startup Canada and, and what do you hope to do with this ambassadorship for, for the year? Oh, I love Startup Canada. I think it's an incredible organization. You guys are all entrepreneurs inside the organization and you've been very busy, very active. You know, when you're very organized, when you have an event, you go all out. Um, and you're engaging a huge amount of organizations across the whole country. So I'm um, very impressed with what Startup Canada has accomplished and the attention that they've received, especially, you know, based in Ottawa there with government. And, you know, this newer government has been, you know, all over Startup Canada's activities, which is great. So I love Startup Canada. The reason I'm excited about being the Woman Entrepreneur Ambassador is I'm hoping to shift the conversation a little bit to, one of more, a bit more practicality. So there's a lot of topics you can talk about around women entrepreneurs, but I want to talk about how you really help them. And, you know, it's great to say mentorship and being there for, for women. And, you know, you know, we're women, we need emotional support. That, that stuff's all there. It's great. But I want to talk about what women need. They need sales. They need access to actual opportunities. They need capital and they need sales. And those are the two things they need. And I want to shift the conversation to get right to the point. We don't have time. We're all in a rush. Time is the enemy when you have a startup. And how do we help more women entrepreneurs gain sales for their business, grow their business, which will help them, you know, continue to raise money and continue to grow. So as everyone knows, it's a it's a positive cyclical experience that once good things start to happen, more good things start to happen and you grow that way. And so how do we create those moments where women can sell their products? And build and gain that momentum. And I so appreciate this because in 2016, I made a documentary about female entrepreneurs called Dream Girl. And a lot of the conversations around it, they, it was a necessary time two years ago, to ha- two, three years ago, to dive into the emotions around the startup experience and being a woman in business and, and being um, novel in some ways. But I do believe I s- so support your focus on sales and on results and how do we enable more women to get there. So how do we enable more women to get there, to focus on sales, to get the momentum around actually creating profitable businesses? Well, one lever in uh, the government's toolbox, if we're doing government um, stakeholder relations, is procurement. So buying from women-owned businesses or buying from businesses that also buy from women-owned businesses is one lever. That's one way. 
and for-profit companies can do that too. So there's starting to be more and more of a focus on especially publicly traded for-profit companies, their ESGs, their environmental social goals that they want to achieve as well as um, their uh, financial metrics they're trying to achieve. So how through your procurement, through what you buy, which to me is the biggest lever an organization has, how can you impact women entrepreneurs? And in terms of the Canadian government specifically, what's holding our government back in opening up these procurement opportunities specifically to women? I think it's complicated. I'm not an expert um, in international free trade agreements. And so I think it's always complicated when governments uh, try to drive uh, procurement opportunities to, to Canadian industry in particular. So I think there's some complexity there when it comes to policymaking. Um, but I think the desire is there. It's just going the next step and really making it happen. Mm. And essentially figuring out who are the women-led businesses, what do they offer in terms of what can be procured, and continuing to put those people forward when it comes to um, our spheres of influence. Absolutely. And this is where, you know, I'm going to shamelessly plug my company, OMX. That's what we're doing. We're aggregating data on the industrial base and serving as a tool for organizations, including the government, to use to uh, to source data on who these suppliers are. And um, so we should be using modern tools to do this. It shouldn't just be somebody who knows somebody inside an organization. Absolutely. So when I first heard your story, I like my jaw dropped. It was this moment of how did this individual um, – even know that this industry existed. And thank you for sharing that this was something that you learned like with those breakfasts with your family. And this was the business that you grew up seeing every single day. But for others who this, who are maybe seeing manufacturing procurement, government um, procurement as a black hole of things that they don't even know how to approach, how do you suggest they, what's the entry point to getting into this area and this sector? Well, procurement is everywhere you look. I mean, it's buying and selling. It's, uh, it's, but it's truly the area that has the biggest impact in economies is, is where companies decide to procure from, to buy from. But at the end of the day, it's just buying and selling. Now, you know, you can obviously make the conversation a lot more complicated by focusing on a particular sector or focusing in on a particular, um, you know, government policy and that kind of stuff. And yes, that stuff gets complicated, but you can learn anything by, you know, reading about it and, and being involved and and working with people. But I'm not sure people want to get involved in, in those sectors. I think there's so many areas of our economy that are ripe to be innovated in and to work in. And, you know, everybody has something that they have a domain expertise in, whether they, you know, it was a hobby of theirs or whether it was something that they grew up around or it's an interest in theirs. Everybody has a domain expertise. They have something that they're interested in and they've become experts in. And I bet you somewhere in that domain expertise, there is there are areas where you can constantly be improving. And that's the essence of what it is to be an entrepreneur and to start up. Is to have that in that singular focus of improvement and innovation. Well, yeah, no, I'm just saying everyone has something they're interested in, right? Mm -hmm. So we all have hobbies on the side. We all have things that we, we all have backgrounds. And so we are learning about a particular domain and we don't even know about it. 
and everyone has different areas where their expertise. You know, I, I hate scuba diving, but there's people out there that are incredible scuba divers and scuba diving their whole life. So why couldn't they devote their time to trying to innovate and come up with products in that area, for instance? Mm-hmm. And so there's just all these sort of trends and best principles that we've been seeing in the market around digitization and around all of these um, different overarching trends that are now happening, you can just apply those to a field that you are interested in and you can get into entrepreneurship. So you don't even have to look further than what you're already living in your day-to-day life, which I think sometimes we can get lost in um, when we hear other stories and when we get lost in in the success of others. I think that's what people should be doing. I mean, the two things I hear from people are, I don't have a good idea. And then if they do have a good idea, they say, I don't want to tell anybody. Mm. Well, those are the two worst things you can do. So first of all, I don't have a good idea is not, is not a thing because your idea is probably the wrong idea anyways. You should be just working in an area that you're very interested in, that you want to devote probably 10 years of your life to and working to improve it and in general and knowing that that way you're going to improve it that product you're going to offer is going to evolve dramatically from day one to seven eight nine years from now i've been at it over seven years so Mm -hmm. it's going to evolve so it doesn't matter if you have one idea i mean my idea originally is very different than what omx is today so that's the first thing and then the second thing i don't want to tell anybody is also the stupidest thing i've ever heard because you need to collaborate. You need to evolve that that idea. It needs to be tested against people that would actually pay for it, about whether or not they'd pay for it. And it needs to, it needs to bounce off so many different people until it gets to that, you know, the terminology we call as product market fit. But it needs to seep into the psyche of as many people as possible. That's so – it's – Exactly what I need to be hearing right now as well. Um, there's a product we've developed in my company that um, we just know we have to get to a wider user base so that we can get more of this feedback and this input. But there is that fear because we don't. Uh, the narratives aren't always allow yourself to iterate. And we we met we talked about this a, a little bit ago in our conversation um, to fail forward and fail fast. Um, and I feel that in myself, even the resistance around that. Let's just figure out how this can be the right market fit, as you mentioned. So I, you're, speaking to, you're speaking directly to me in this moment. So thank you for that. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so in terms of resources that have supported you throughout your career, um, I so appreciate, again, that you brought up family. I feel like that's a resource that helped me so much to be able to see myself in the business world and see this as a place where I could live and work and be and build and innovate. But outside of that, what, what has helped you throughout your career? What resources do you always go back to? This can be books. This can be individuals. This can be courses or backgrounds of study. Um, what resources have helped you up-level in your career? Well, I, I think all of those things, right? I, just, you, I think you have to be a sponge, and then you have to be willing to grab ideas from places that are maybe not as obvious. So I, I do read a lot. Uh, I've always got a book on the go, always something with new ideas, um, a lot of biographies as well to hear other people's stories and what they went through to try to, you know, grab some of the things that might work for you. And then, you know, surround yourself with people that are like-minded in that sense. And I've always been 
around various people that are also entrepreneurs and you can relate to them and um, you don't feel like you're weird so much around them, you know? And I think that's really important for people to be around others that they can relate to. So that combination of things are, are really helpful. I think for an entrepreneur, especially in the early days, it's going to be ups and downs and it's, uh, it's obviously never going to be easy. So all of those things are important for, for you to gain a perspective and to realize that the hiccups are normal. If you're not hiccuping, you're probably doing the wrong things. You're not pushing hard enough, maybe. Um, and that uh, it's, it's all part of it. It's like you've signed up for this. Mm-hmm. It's a forever work in progress life. Um, so if I could ask if there was one or two books that you would specifically reference that you've loved or that have given you significant insights, what would those be? Oh, there's a lot. The two that I've been referencing a lot recently, um, are how to fly a horse. So that's the process of innovation. It's really, uh, insightful that basically innovation is this very messy, unglamorous, uh, process that is just many, many hours and and days of the same repetitive thing, but you have to fail, collaborate, and iterate. You have to go do those three things. Um, and the other one is the, I think it's called the end of power or the new power. Um, I'm going to look it up. It's, uh, it's basically about the power structure that is coming down with technology and this new networked economy that we're living in and how that power structure is shifting and what type of leadership it's going to require for us to, to lead in, in those markets. So if you're a traditional hierarchical leader, that's kind of followed the old rules and you're leading in that way, then essentially your organization is not going to survive, uh, what's happening and what's going to come in terms of being driven by technology, but always what is driving technology and what's going to come from technology will be massive social shifts and shifts in the way people want to work and they want to be treated and they want to, they want to exist. So when you look at how called new power, new power. Okay. Fantastic. When you look at those, those traditional power structures that were maybe in place and, and hierarchical structures within your company when you first started Tiburon way back in 08, and you look at how you run your company now, um, what are you most proud of in terms of how you've iterated or things that have changed and your leadership style? Well, I've always run a very flat organization and I've always um, been a fan of hiring other people that are entrepreneurial and um, setting the higher level vision and some um, metrics and, you know, not, not being a tactical manager in that sense. And so I think it's around surrounding yourself with people that, um, will get the job done and and think for themselves and, and, you know, they treat it as their own, their own baby. So I've always been like that from day one. Um, when I started Tiburon, I was so lucky because the Samsung factory had just shut down and I hired the, the person that was the general manager at Samsung and we got together and we plucked kind of the best people that were in Samsung and we hired them in our factory and they were younger, like in their mid thirties and they knew way more about what to do than I knew, which was incredible. And it was such a shift of what people would normally think where the old way of thinking about leadership and power is that the leader knows all and the person that generates the outcome is primarily the leader. It's just everyone below them executes. 
the newer way of thinking about it, which is the way I've always thought about it, is you surround yourself with people who know a lot more than you do about something and you're setting your, your vision and your high level goals and, um, unleashing everybody and making sure that there's a huge diversity of thought around the table and that everyone feels really comfortable around about coming up with ideas and, you know, saying, I don't think that's a good idea, et cetera. You get to be a facilitator of others, unleash, unleashing others. And I love that. Um, I think that speaks hugely to why you have been able to gain and, and maintain and develop so much success for your companies and for yourself. Um, because I think when, when we do kind of not take ourselves so seriously or not expect to always be the number one in the room, you can actually listen and you can actually hear the brilliance of the people around you and let that level everybody up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have these huge companies and, and they're selling products to to young people, to, to old people, to to different races, to different people all over the, and yet they're listening to the same the same middle aged, you know, white guys that have been giving them the same opinions and went through the same school as them and it's groupthink, right? And that's not how you're gonna survive in the future. Absolutely not. And I, I so appreciate that. And I so appreciate that through your ambassadorship, this is a message that you can take across the country, because I think this is a very critical time for us to hear that not only in business, but across sectors, that we have yeah. to be honest, we have to trust each other's excellence, and we have to get out of our own way. But if, and if somebody says why you say because you're going to make more money. Mm, yes. And if you can say that, then they'd be stupid not to listen. And that is the key to taking it from that soft argument of, you know, enabling work cultures and environments where individuals can just thrive personally and professionally and, you know, all of the soft arguments that we have there. But if, if it supports the bottom line, then it is a no-brainer. And I think that this is a really a special period of time where we can show that when we invest in people in this way and when we get out of our own way and allow others to shine and and build our companies with us hand in hand, it's just going to be so excellent for the bottom line. Right. Okay. So a couple uh, final questions for you here as we begin to wrap up this, this wonderful conversation. Um, back to procurement specifically, what advice do you have for women entrepreneurs who are looking to tap into procurement and supply chains? Oof. <laughs> <laughs> Small questions we hear at Startup Canada and on the Thrive Podcast. Well, the big thing I'm focusing on is what levers do we have to convince organizations that are buyers to to see that as a, a critical part of, of their strategy. So I'm thinking of that area first because if that starts to happen, then it will be a no-brainer. You know, they'll issue out RFIs and I think women entrepreneurs should be tapping into everything they can find online. They should be um, making sure they have kind of the certifications that are required to, to sell to some of these companies to really understand what these companies are looking to source, uh, where their strategies are, where they fit in. Um, and But I think it still needs to start. I think we do need to back up still and we still need to look at the buyers and say, how do we encourage them to think more strategically around the way that they buy? The other aspect I think here is also enabling women 
government-led businesses and, and many businesses in general to realize that the government can be one of their clients and one of the, the buyers for them and for their products uh, so that they can get these larger contracts and scale their companies. Because um, I think going from that smaller uh, manufacturer provider to scaling to larger contracts can definitely be intimidating um, for business owners across the board. For sure. Yes, absolutely. And it just seems like a big black box. But um, the government is breaking it down absolutely right now to make it more achievable. So that's that's really exciting. And it's wonderful to see you at the forefront of that transformation. My final question for you. Um, I am so appreciative that you get to be a voice across the country for women entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs um, through this ambassadorship with Startup Canada. In this context of our conversation today, when we're looking at enabling women entrepreneurs to thrive and to rise uh, to their greatest potential, what would you say is your final piece of advice for them to to elevate and to thrive? Oh wow! I think I think my biggest piece of advice is is just to know how messy things I think truly are and, and need to get and how there's no straight line to any of this stuff. And even in sales and selling to companies, I mean, it, I make it sound so easy. A company posts a procurement opportunity and then you respond. But the reality is that it's a giant mess. <laughs> <laughs> it never goes smoothly. And so I think to know that that's normal is, is a big part of it and a big step because I know for myself, I remember thinking in the early days, what is wrong with me? Like what, what, why me? Why is this, why is this so difficult? And to know that that is normal is, um, I think really critical. Uh, so just one correction to the start of the podcast, uh, OMX is working in a bunch of industries and, but we have still chosen industries that are pretty old school. So, we're working in infrastructure. We're working with impact investing. Um, in Canada, we're working with uh, something called community benefits, which is a, an infrastructure requirement. We're working in mining. We're working in energy. Uh, we are working in public sector. And then we're working in the sectors that, that you mentioned. So we're doing a lot of work in a lot of industries, um, but they all are in kind of industrial, more traditional sectors. And those sectors, they just tend to have really long sales cycles and they tend to be kind of messy to get your, get a deal, to get a contract closed. So I think that would be my advice is just, I want to push the message to all entrepreneurs that this process of entrepreneurship is not a cakewalk and that that's normal. Mm. And thank you for that, because even just you naming that messiness, because you're right, we can be like, just make the sale, just close the deal. Just, but even the, the filling out of the forms, the figuring out how what works and what doesn't is such a messy game, and that it's literally just repetition over time to build the confidence up that you can close these things, and that regardless of how long or how little time it takes, there there can be an end in sight that is positive for your bo the bottom line of your business. And if you just build that tenacity and that resilience, you can make it through to that growth. There you go. Absolutely, I should be interviewing you next time. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like staying in this chair, but <laughs> I appreciate that. But 
Honestly, this was such a wonderful conversation, Nicole, and a great start to the first season or this season of Thrive. And we were so happy to have you and uh, are so grateful that you are the ambassador for Women Entrepreneurs for Startup Canada this year. Can't wait to see the impact that you make. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us this week on the Thrive Podcast, where we help women entrepreneurs start and build thriving businesses. Thank you to the Startup Canada production team, BDC and Scotiabank for helping us elevate women entrepreneurs. Visit startupcan.ca forward slash women to download the playbook resources for women entrepreneurs with a comprehensive list of support for you and your business. And visit startupcan.ca for the latest episodes of the Startup Canada podcast hosted by Rivers Corbett. Make sure to visit CoreSpace, K-A-U-R dot space, to learn to better integrate work, wellness, and impact into your everyday life. Until next time, I'm Gomal Minhas. It's time to thrive.